Hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast with me, Ian Cheeseman. Thanks very much for listening, downloading, subscribing. You know it's all free. Thanks, in this case, to the Charles Louis Group, who are an advisory business. They're based in Ramsbottom, which is not too far away from Manchester. They're an advisory company on development finance, mortgage advice and estate agency. They started out life as a simple mortgage company offering buy-to-let, first-time buyer and moving on mortgages. But they now provide support for the whole property transaction process, including an independent estate agents and an expert commercial financial team and a renowned mortgage team. Uh, Dave, who is the man that I liaise with, is a top blue and has been very supportive of the, the podcast right from the word go. Sometimes you'll see little bits of the podcast as well, of course, on YouTube. And it's, that's all down to uh, Dave's support. So I thank him very much. And I hope that if you are in the process of moving or somebody that you know is in the process of moving or needing that type of advice, then give them a call. Just look at the website, charleslouis.co.uk. There's a phone number on there. Give them a call and tell them you heard about us, about them on blue on uh, blue tuesday i was going to say that's a long time ago isn't it on forever blue now i have three guests with me uh, tonight um, i'm delighted to say our special guest this week is one chinadam anua in fact in fact i was doing the sort of posh version like some commentators do it would be chinadam anua wouldn't it wouldn't yeah it? yeah Listen, I, I know when you're calling me, so that's all good, yeah. It's all good. <laughs> so we've got Nadim with us, we've got Adam, and uh, Prestige Paul will be along in, in a few minutes as well. So let me start by talking to Nadim about City's form, because obviously we haven't heard you uh, before on the podcast talking about that. I mean, I was down at Swansea last week covering the game for Sony Sports India, so I was actually in the stadium and I saw it. And it's funny because during the course of the last 12 months, I've only actually been to one other City game. Yeah. And I'm so used to being at a game. And a, a mate of mine called Tim, who I took to a City game some time ago, who doesn't normally watch City games in the flesh. When I met him afterwards, I said, what did you think of it? And he said, the thing that blew him away, which doesn't come over on television, is the speed at which everything happens, the intensity at which everything happens, the mm -hmm. instant control of footballers. And when you're watching it on TV, of course you can see it, but you don't sort of appreciate it in the same way. And because I'd gone virtually a year without seeing it close up like that, you know what? It really it blew me away watching them in close up again. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. What, what, what do you make of it? You know, I mean, obviously, I know you've been in the States, so you've been consuming mostly City you know long distance on tv but i know yeah. you've been to a few games too just recently yeah yeah i have yeah i think um i've been to maybe three or four games so far uh just in since i've been back in the uk so, so we're talking about it since the start of december i feel very lucky to have done that and to be in the stadium and to be able to see them from an overhead view and really see what they're doing now like it's it like it's incredible it is absolutely incredible but for so many different reasons i think with most teams, if they lose two players, for example, like uh, the equivalent of a Kevin De Bruyne or Sergio Aguero, two players who are not just two of the best in the Premier League, but two of the best in the world, you'd expect them to struggle. But the identity of the team now is one whereby it's next man up to continue the style and the identity of like how they play and stuff. And to see it happen every single week. And instead of, say, maybe in the past you'd have criticisms about, you know, Pep changes it too much, he's rotating this too much and so on and so forth. He's been very consistent with the way he's approached games. And at times, he might slightly tweak something to take away another team's strength like he did against Spurs yesterday. But it's like, it's insane. Like, was it 15 or 16 wins in a row? Like, that's, 16, that's video, I think it is now, yeah. That, that's like video game stuff. But you, you could say, you, you would find, you'd do well to find somebody who could argue that they've not deserved to win all 16. And it's, a, it's we're in a totally new world here seeing this. A team that essentially, you know, it does have stars but not necessarily the huge stars as we used to see in, in times gone by. But now what we have is a team where everybody does their job to the highest of standards. And as a consequence, at the minute, they, they look unbeatable. When you're out on the pitch and you're playing, Blimey, you see it from a yard or two away when people do breathtaking things. Mm -hmm. um, you just mentioned about it looking like a video game. That's yeah. the point I was making, really. You know, that when you watch it on TV, it does feel like a video game. And this mm -hmm. football is so perfect, isn't it? Yeah, it is. There's the, the certain things which 
I wouldn't necessarily want to bore people with from a tactical standpoint, but it's very, very interesting because I think to myself, how would some of my previous teams try and play against it? And to be honest, you don't know because teams have tried to press them and struggled. Teams have tried to drop off and they struggled. There's just something about the way they control the ball. They control, you know, basically most of the game, but then they have people who can just inject that speed that you speak of. And all of a sudden they take it to a whole new gear and you're on the back foot again. And it's just, it's clever. I think everything that they're doing is so thought out, but as you can see, the whole team's bought into it. So whoever's on the field, they know what their job is and they're very comfortable doing it. It's not a case of, to, to get slightly technical, say if you're playing in one of the front three and you've not touched the ball for five minutes, time's gone by, someone would just go and try and seek the ball to get a touch. But instead they know that their role is to stay out wide and to keep stop the right back from say coming forward or stop the left back from coming forward. So they're doing a job for other people and it's a selfless thing. And you know, some people in the past would get frustrated. The fact is when the game's all said and done, you've probably scored a goal and the team's probably won three or four nil. So, you know, it's, 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 it's a joy to watch a different brand of football be played by players who are of the highest standard, who represent the team that you support. You've used the word team there a few times and never yes. before have I seen such a team that is all about the individual, uh, sorry, not about the individual, and it's yep. all about the team. When mm -hmm. I watch the performances, I don't think to myself, ah, oh, that person's had a special game and carried City through it, or, mm -hmm. or that one's not played so well, and, and they, but they've covered for him. Every yeah. single member of the team, without exception, as they get the ball, I mean, I'm only a fan, right? But, mm -hmm. I, but I think... If I were them now, and I've got the overview, I've got the TV view and everything, I think what they need to do is do this and then pass it mm -hmm. on to that one. And they do it. And every mm -hmm. single time they make mm -hmm. the right choice. And that is blowing my mind. Yeah, it's, it's, it's special. And it seems really, really simple to just say people just make the right choice. But in the nature of a game, at times it's easy to just revert to a comfort zone and say, well, I don't want the ball now or, or whatever. But everybody on that field wants the ball all the time. And they know the places to go to, to give themselves the opportunity to do so. So say when one of the centre-backs gets the ball, they'll look up and they've got three options. They'll move it to the next person. They'll look up and they've got three options. And it's not just because by chance people are standing there. It's by design. So the players really understand what, what Pep wants from them. And they're doing it nine, if not 10 times out of 10 during a game. And when you have that level of sort of consistency and confidence in knowing that you could basically play blindfolded, then you add in the talent level. And then before you know it, you find a team that's potentially going to go 10 points clear at the top of the league. Well, let me ask you one more question before I bring the other two guys in, which is about defence, which is obviously your department. <clears throat> um, a lot of praise has been given to, um, you know, to um, obviously the two, the two central defenders in terms of John Stone's improving, uh, Laporte, um, when he comes in playing exceptionally, but particularly Ruben Diaz and the effect that he's had since he's come in. Cancelo showing his flexibility on in both fullback positions. Um, Zinchenko contributing what he's contributing at left back. So a lot of praise has gone to defenders. But the way I look at it, but I'm not a defender, and that's why I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are. This isn't about the defenders per se, even though mm -hmm. the defenders are playing well. This is yeah. about controlling the ball, controlling possession, and yeah. always making sure that the point when you do lose the possession eventually happens, that everybody's in the right place and gets what they're doing, so that the defenders yeah. are rarely actually put under pressure. Is That's that exactly fair, right, or yeah. am I giving unfair... No, I know that. I think I, I agree with everything you said, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll add a bit extra to that. So Ruben Diaz has been playing exceptionally well. John Stones have been playing exceptionally well. But one thing which is a boring talking point is the thing that's, things that have done well are basic bits of defending, taking pride and stopping the ball going into your goal, trying to make tackles, trying to win your duels. But they're more comfortable in being able to do that because they know that there's somebody behind them to support them, which is through an understanding of knowing that the person you're next to is doing the right thing more often than not. And then as well, you talk about defending. A back four can be good, but it's useless unless you have the people in front of you working hard as well. And I think in the Spurs game, as from when I arrived at the stadium, I was thinking Spurs' big threat is going to be on the break. How is City going to deal with it? Sons of flying machine and so on and so forth. But then every, it seemed like most times whenever Spurs had the chance to turn in midfield and try and create something, three, four City players swarmed in on that player. And it meant that the pass that that player would play off would either be something that's either negative or a poor quality pass. So they're able to stifle attacks in the right zone. And it's because like the defending is from 
one all the way through to through to the eleven. You know, it's not just four people defending; everybody defends, and that's ultimately, I think, why in this spell now they've they've done so so well because it's great that you can score goals and so on. But when you come up against a team who are really hard to like score against and just keep the ball against, you're going in there and you're wondering like, what what chance do you realistically have? If it's a City team where you know, they might score two goals or whatever, but they'll gift you two, three chances and they'll they'll give up trying to defend. You know, you go into it with a sense of optimism. But one thing I saw is from the very first game that they won on this run to this moment right now, the desire to come back and defend as a collective is exactly where it was. And this is probably, in, from a human psychology standpoint, this moment right now would be the easiest point to say, yeah, well, I don't want to do it this time. Because, you know, they're already top of the league. They've, they're achieving their goals. They've got a lead at the top. But the desire is still there. And the desire in this instance is even greater because it's the expectation and the standard. And I think when you have that, those type of standards all the way through the team, like you end up in a position whereby the team, as I say, is doing as well as they are now. Right, I'll bring the other two in now. And sometimes when I do the podcast, I've got several subject areas that I want to go in. And I can't say I really have... Uh, tonight, I, I feel a, a lot more relaxed about everything. I mean, I'm quite happy for for Adam and Paul to. If you want to ask Nadam a question, ask one, and we can we'll see where it goes to. I mean, obviously, at some point we're going to talk probably in, in depth about Ilkay Gundogan and the contribution that he's making because he's exceptional within that fantastic team framework that we're talking about. I mean, you know, I'm singling a player out, and I've just said it's all about the team, but he is exceptional. So. Adam, just tell me what you're thinking about what you're watching at the moment because it's it is it, it's funny because I'm, I'm I want you to talk so I'm I'm wittering on here but when I watch it on TV as I did against Spurs because it's so perfect I was actually a little bit at times bored. <laughs> Can you do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, it's great football when you're there and you're oh, watching it, yeah. but but. Because City is so in control, so comfortable, every pass goes to where it's going to go to. There were a little bit, um, there's no jeopardy anymore. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to throw that into the mix as a talking point. But go on, Adam, tell us yeah. what you think. I do understand that. I've heard a few people say, more opposition fans say they're bored watching us, probably because they're quite jealous. But um, I'm the opposite. I'm more excited about it because I'm, I'm watching the tempo being slow, and I'm waiting for that moment when Gundo changes it, because um, it seems like he's the one to control the tempo, the David Silva-type player that can switch it up. And that's what bamboozles defence. You, you know, you think, you think you, you're sitting pretty, you know, with, with lads on the edge of your box, sitting in front of you, and then all of a sudden the, 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 the pace changes, and next thing you know, the ball's in your net, and you're going, how's that happened? Um, so that's where the excitement comes from me. Um, I'm quite happy to sit there, Obviously, I don't like sitting and watching on TV, but I'm quite happy to sit there and be patient and wait for it because um, we know at the moment that it's coming. So it, it's the excitement, the anticipation of seeing that amazing goal, the amazing move that's going to lead to it um, that makes me still glued to the screen, even if we are tapping it between uh, the centre-halves or we're switching it. We think I think we should have probably played it into the box, but no, we're going to go to the other side and work it out a different way. Um, I'm intrigued by why we do that and, you know, what's going to come of it. Why have we decided not to go into the box at that point? Why are we doing it at another point? So I think tactically it's, it's, it's really nice to look at in terms of being intrigued by what we're doing because it's completely new. And the fact that we're playing without really a recognised number nine, even when Jesus is playing, it seems like we're switching it up so often at the top. Everyone's playing in each other's positions. The defenders have no idea what's going on, and we don't, and that's what makes it so exciting to watch because we've no idea what's going on. They just seem to be bamboozling everyone. Um, mm. That's why I'm still really excited about watching us. And I wasn't at the start of December before the start of this run, as I, I might have mentioned before. I think it was the Southampton game might have started this run, and I nearly didn't watch that game because I don't know. I was bored of the the pace of it being too slow, and I felt like we weren't. We weren't switching it up to get it to the higher gears that we now are. I was quite, I was quite bored of it, really. Um, and we also weren't picking up loads of points. But now it just seems like we've, we've switched it up a gear and everything's clicked. And now I can't take my eyes off it. John, Paul, let's see what you've got to say. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's very... I like it to this beginning of this podcast. Um, I, I, I could quite happily 
sit back and listen to you and, and, and Nedham just talk. Um, Nedham's so eloquent the way he puts stuff. He's, he's how you're not doing more work on TV, Nedham. I, I really don't know, mate, if I'm being honest. Um, you know, I sit and listen to these idiots talking. Um, mate, you, you, you need to send the show reel in or something because, um, you know, I flicked through watching some football uh, this week and obviously I watched City's game. Um, and I just listened to the two commentators, um, Carragher and Tyler. Oh, mate, honest. I, I, I turn it off and I have to put somebody else on because I would love to have you and Mika Richards on that same commentary panel. It'd be brilliant, mate. Brilliant. That's enough smoke blowing up your backside now. Yeah, so, cheers. Appreciate well it. Thank deserved. you. Well deserved. Um, I, I said, I've said this since Pep's come along, to be honest, that... Um, I, where I stand in the in the in the in the stadium is block one eleven, so it's kind of a noisy bit on the seg line between the away fans. So we're up, we're singing, we we you know we're ballooning around, we're doing all of the usual stuff we do. Um, Pep came along, and we kind of found ourselves. Um, best way I can describe it is watching um, um, a, 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 a ballet. Or going to the theatre, whereas we, we were normally ballooning around because we were bored and we were singing and shouting, we actually had football to watch. And I, and I think that's what's happening now is that we're absolutely, I, I find myself sitting down and just thinking, oh my God, look at this football, because it's completely different to what any other team set is playing. All other teams are trying to play like City. I mean, you, you, you saw Liverpool trying to play it out the back. Allison gave the ball away twice. We scored from it. We saw it again um, in, in today in one of the games. And other teams, Pep has changed how the Premier League plays football. Um, we are playing total football, which uh, was it the Dutch? Uh, the, the, the Johan Dutch Cruyff was his big football. inspiration. Pep's big inspiration. Yeah, yeah Johan Cruyff. It, it, it's all it stems from that, and it's just it's 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 mesmerising. And, and it's made me think about football in a completely different way, having had this lockdown and having to sit and watch more games than I've ever seen in my life. Because as you know, Ian, I'm always at the games, Adam. I'm at the games home and away, you know, European games and, and everything. So I don't get to watch it on the telly like I have been doing. One, it's, it's, it's not great watching it on the telly. I must admit, I prefer to be in the ground. But because I've had to watch it on the television, I've become more analytical and, and I see things different and I'm and I'm, I'm missing goals sometimes because I'm watching what other players are doing around the pitch you know rather than watching where the ball is and watching the off the ball movement and the running and I mean I, I mentioned on Twitter this week about um, uh, Jesus um, he for me has come back in this this Covid spell if you like a better player his positioning, he's getting involved out wide. He's putting balls across now. He's actually not just a playmaker. He's become a more fuller footballer for it. Pep, um, Pep did it with uh, Aguero. You know, for me, Aguero was an all-out and out striker. Once Pep came along, I think he dropped him a few times. You know, he, he wasn't in the side and everyone were complaining about it. And when he came back in the side, his work rate was upped. He was, he was, he was more of a team player. And every single player that gets in that team can play football. We, we, we can knock the ball about. We're all comfortable on the ball. I say we, obviously, I've never been on there, but you know what I mean. Um, and, and it's beautiful to see. And, and you know, I've, I, I, you know my feelings on this, this watching football and the fans not being there. But as the season's gone on now and we've got little targets, you know, like it was 15 games and it was 16 games. It's now 17. And now it's that little thing of, you know, clean sheets. The defenders want to keep clean sheets. People, you know, little little packs around the pitch. You also, I always think footballers work in little packs. My thing was rugby, so I, I, I used to work in a pack. And you used to work around and all little, they're all setting themselves little goals. Um, you know, midfielders, they don't want to miss tackles. They don't want to misplace passes. Goalkeeper doesn't want to let a, a ball in. He wants to keep a clean sheet. So there's all little units all around the field that are all playing for each other. And that is what our success is. We're, we're playing as a unit, playing as a team. 
And I hate to say this, um, and this isn't any disrespect to, to, to Kevin De Bruyne, but I think we play better as a unit, as a, as a, as a collective, when De, Kevin's not in the side. Now, that's not saying we should drop him. I'm just saying what I've seen from watching City play since he's been injured. That, oh, that's a bombshell to drop, but there you go. That, it's, that's quite a statement. Um, what, what do you think, Nadam? No, I understand what he's saying because I think in the in the in his talent not being in the team, then ultimately people had to step up and the style now wasn't wasn't based around say one player who is exceptional. We've got some very, very good players within that side and they are all doing their job. But it'll be interesting to see when Kevin does come back because then does he come in or does he earn the right to come in by doing the things which the group have just done while he's been out? Or does he come in and switch things up a little bit because Kevin's in there? And to be honest, I'd fancy Pep to say to Kevin, like your role is going to be like one of the roles of the people who've been playing whilst you've, whilst you've not been there. Because for as much as he's an exceptional talent, I think City are proven in this spell now that it's, it's about the 11. You know, it's not Kevin De Bruyne's an exceptional talent. He's one of the best players in the world. But he can play in this system and he can excel in this system. Who knows? Maybe we'll get better performances from him if he does go back into this system and find a way. But in all the stuff that you were saying, I, I really enjoyed listening to it because I think um, one thing about City and the way that they play, like you could say you're bored when things are moving side to side and so on. But I think a key difference, as has been alluded to, is when there's that injection of speed. And that injection of speed comes from moving the ball slowly, 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 but it's passing with a purpose and it's to draw out the opposition. And I think personally, City probably struggle more when a team just says, we're not even going to bother trying to attack and we're just going to keep 10 people here. Because they know from the moment one person steps, there's going to be space in behind for somebody else. And if they can then get the midfielders turning, get Sterling flying down the wing, maybe a Foden flying down the wing, a Mares or whatever, like it puts teams on the back foot and they can't cope. But that's the big thing. And I think the difference between City and other teams who try and play in their style, all the passing is with a purpose. It's not just to keep possession. It's to try and draw out the opposition to play the right pass. And you look, every time they have the opportunity to play forward, the ball will go forward. They won't say, oh, let's just keep it for longer. It will go forward. And then even still, like we talk about the, the Liverpool fiasco, which they had last week or whatever against us. One big thing between Liverpool and City again is that Liverpool won't kick the ball long. So Pep knows that, which is why I initiate the press. But then you look at Spurs on the weekend, they're going for a half press, but then they can still get caught out over the top because City are looking for that as well. Like that ball to Gundogan from Edison. That's not the first time we've seen him do a ball like that. So then how do you defend against a team who can go long and stay short? You have to pick one or the other. You, you drop off because they might kick it long. They'll control the game from the back. You press them high. They're running through and you go. Like it's, in this, in this instance, it's probably some of the best football I've ever seen in my life. And it's incredible to say because any other team in the history of the Premier League losing two of their best players for a prolonged period of time, you'd say, well, obviously they're going to struggle. But City found a way and it's, it's been a very, very impressive way. Let me ask all three of you about Ilkay Gundogan. I mean, uh, one of the regular contributors to this podcast is Harlan. And uh, he he's, we had a, and I know Paul was on the particular pod I'm going to refer to now. This was back on February the 11th, 2019. So if you want to go back through the archives and find this pod, which uh, Harlan has nicknamed the Gundo pod, uh, pod <laughs> then, uh, then go and find it. But basically, at that time, he wasn't the most popular player at City. And I think all four of us that were on that podcast, Louisa was on it, Harlan, Paul and me, were all singing Ilkay Gundogan's praises and couldn't quite understand why it was that some City fans were singling him out. Now suddenly he's the flavour of the month. So my question, and let's start with Nathan, but all three of you tell us your opinion on this. Has Ilkay Gundogan improved? Is he better than he was two years ago? Is it that the system's different? Um, I mean, I know one time, for a, for a season, really, when Fernandinho got injured, he was almost playing in that holding midfield role. He claims he can play as a striker as well as being an attacking midfielder. So what has been the difference, or has there not been a difference with Ilkay Gundogan? It just happens that, for, for the moment, he's getting a few goals and now people are appreciating him. What, yeah. what, what do you think? I I think he's improved over two years. I really think he has. I think he's settled more into playing for City, settled more into the Premier League. I also think the system has changed in a way which suits him better. But then, again, people are obviously all over him because he's scoring goals. But one thing I'd say about his goals, though, 
again, it's the whole team understanding and team ethic. You look at the goal, which you got from Sterling on the weekend. It's that bit of eye contact. Say, I'm going here. Sterling reads it. They play it. They make it. But Gundogan could have just stood there. But one thing we've seen in the last two months or so is that he's scoring most of his goals in a six-yard box because he has that desire and understanding of when to get into the box because the play to get there is predictable. You know, when you are a midfielder who's playing essentially attacking midfield for the team, and you, you know, there's a lot of creativity which is put on your shoulders. You can read things, you can see things, and it's just, it's so, it sounds so boring, but a sense of predictability on a field and understanding amongst teammates makes you a really good side. You know if you go here, this person's going to go there. You know if you pass the ball there, the next thing is here. And it's not, for all the talent that they have, they're not relying on people to do anything extraordinary. I think a team that scores 10, 20 goals from outside the box is never going to do as well as a team who scores 10, 20 from inside the six-yard box because that is through a plan. It's through understanding. And for Gundogan now, like he's not playing the 10, but he's got license to roam. He can try and be involved in play, but he's never coming back to the six to try and get the ball because in fairness to, like, I know some people don't like Rodri and, you know, they compare to Fernandinho and so on. The role of the six for Man City now is to be the link man between, say, they either two or three centre-backs and the other midfielders. But there's so much trust in there because the six always wants the ball. The six will always move the ball, whether you think it's sideways or whatever. But when the chance comes to play the ball forward, you're playing it to Gundogan, you're playing it to a Bernardo Silva, and they're on the other side of the other team's midfield. And that's when there can be that injection. The ball can be played out wide. And now Gundogan's making runs into the box on the blind side of the other midfielders. It's... It's a joy and he is getting better, but then it doesn't surprise me because I think Pep Guardiola is probably one of the best coaches, in my opinion, of, of my lifetime that I've seen. And players, they always say when they go and work with him, they, it's almost like they relearn the game because they're used to seeing things in one way, but now he's teaching them a completely different way. And that completely different way really suits Gundogan down to the ground now. And it's great that he is scoring, but he's contributing in other ways as well. But I just love the fact that most of those goals are in the six-yard box because it just shows when push comes to shove, the desire to make it to impact the game is to go and try and put yourself in a spot where you can, because it's very easy to just be sitting on the edge of the box or to just be a bit deeper, but he's putting himself in there. People are finding him. He keeps putting into the goal, except for obviously from 12 yards out. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant. I know that uh, City probably have to win the Champions League for this to happen, but he's been spoken about as a potential Ballon d'Or um, that's how people are rated him. Um, what, what do you think, Adam? I think it's a bit soon to be talking about the PFA Player of the Year and Ballon d'Or, all that sort of stuff. You know, he's been class for two months now, and I think he needs to carry that on now until the end of the season. Mm. Be considered uh, a PFA Player of the Year um, winner or or Ballon d'Or or whatever you'd like. I think Diaz is probably more suited at the moment uh, to winning that if I was to pick anyone from City's team. But I was probably one of the people who was a bit anti-Gundo. Um, I didn't hate him, but, I, you know, he would never be in my starting eleven over the past, you know, three, four seasons since he's come. Um, I remember when he, when we, we first signed him, he was played as a more attacking player for that first season. Um, but then, since then, because David Silva was turned into the man again, you know, he, he wasn't disappearing, David Silva, um, in the 2017, 2018, and then the 18-19 season there's been no role for him. This role that he's playing now wasn't available in the side for him. So when he did get a chance to play there, I didn't feel he was good enough. And I also certainly didn't feel he was good enough in the, in the deep role either. So I was sort of feeling like he was one of those players who is good and could do a job anywhere, but is he world-class anywhere? He wasn't for me. So that's why I felt like he sort of wasn't up to our standard. He was more of a squad player. But now, you know, obviously, as we've seen, you know, he's, he stepped into that David Silva role. And we knew at the start of the season that Pep thought that he could be our next David Silva. And I, I didn't see it personally. Um, but you can see that as soon as he, as soon as he stepped in, he's made, he's made that role his own. And he's got you know, a consistent run of games behind him, which he hasn't had really since, since he signed for us. He hasn't been trusted or hasn't been, been made that main man. And now, now he has. And it would be great to see Kevin De Bruyne come in and be next to him because, you know, then we go back to that 17-18 season where you've got a, a holding midfielder in Rodri that was Fernandinho. And then in front of him, you've got your David Silva and your, and your Kevin De Bruyne, whereas now it's Gundogan and Kevin De Bruyne. And I can see, I can, I can see that's going to be incredible, hopefully, if we, can, if we can get KDB into this 
um, this way of playing. I, I can imagine that being perfect for him. So, yeah, I'm obviously buzzing about Gundo, um, but yeah, I'm happy to be proved wrong about him. Paul, what, what are your thoughts on <clears throat> Gundo? I mean, he's not much really to add to what the, the two gents have just said. I mean, it's <clears throat> for me, the only good thing about David Silva leaving City is that, you know, we've seen Gundo and Phil Foden um, come out of the shells. I think is probably the best way to describe it. Um, <clears throat> they've both been given a lot more responsibility. Um, and for Gundo especially, he's, you don't get in a German team. Um, World Cup winning side by being um, a journeyman or a, a basic footballer. He's he's done when he came to City. He's done what Pep's had to do him. As you well know, Ian, that Germans they, they do as they're told. You know, they're given they're given a, a plan and they'll they'll stick to it. And and for me, Gundo's done that. He's he's come in. He's done what Pep's, Pep's asked him. He's now doing what Pep's asked him. And you know, it's the same player with Pep's coaching and being given that free reign in the side. And it's, for me, for me, it's, it's fantastic because I've always banged a drum for him. Um, always, if you look back at all the podcasts, I've always uh, banged a drum. You know, if he's had a bad game, I've said he's had a bad game, but give reasons for it. And um, <clears throat> I'm so, so pleased for the guy because he does, he does also come across as a genuinely nice bloke as well, you know, and, and um, I'm not saying that all footballers shouldn't be, some are, some aren't, but he, he genuinely comes across as a decent fella. So, I'm really, really pleased for him. On the Ballon d'Or, um, I'm afraid he's only going to one player win that, and it's going to be Hendo, because you know, as we know, every year that man is, <laughs> you know, all, all, all superheroes don't just wear capes. Um, where they wear the year, uh, well, centre back position for Liverpool. <laughs> Can I say as well, in regards to uh, Gundogan, I think a big thing about his time now is the is the amount of is how available he's been. I think when you have little injuries and so on, you don't really get into a flow and you're not guaranteed to be starting when you come back in and so on. But from the moment you know you're an integral part of a team, you could just you have that little bit extra. And when you have that little bit extra and everyone else is on fire as well, you can be doing exactly what he's doing now and just understand everything and don't fear anything. You, I think to put it, to put it this way, uh, so I was with Jolene Lescott on City TV this weekend and uh, we were talking about penalties and Jolene and myself are, are disasters. We're, yeah, we're a disaster at penalties, yeah. But I said for some people, the reason for that is because some people see a penalty and are excited to score and other people worried about missing. But to look at City now, everybody's excited to play because they're excited about going out and playing well and winning. There's no fear, there's no doubt, there's no pressure, there's no nothing. So they do their jobs, which is expectation from Pep. And then they add their own flavour to it as well. And that's why we've probably seen some of the best football from certain individuals and the collective. Obviously, we're all sort of secretly hoping Edison would take that penalty um, <laughs> at the weekend, weren't we? I mean, uh, uh, I don't know how close it came to him. I mean, apparently, he gave some advice to, this is what Rodri said, he gave some advice to him, which he ignored uh, and still put it the same way. And it was nearly <laughs> saved. But um, I think Edison... You want him to take one, don't you? You, re you really do want him to take one. Did you see? It was it was four to one this weekend to to, to score four to one. It was it's better odds <laughs> than like half the Spurs team. I uh, I think it's a, I think it's the City fan inside me that would love, absolutely love our keeper to score it. There was just a look on his face when he gave the assist. Um, he he was buzzing from it, and I absolutely loved it. I'd love that man to score a penalty. It'd be brilliant. Sooner or later, I think he'll just hit a long ball over the goalkeeper's head from the edge of his own box. Never mind. Never mind a penalty. He'll do that. Go yeah, on, Adam. I'll you on that. I'll you Joe, on that. Joe Hart was really good at penalties. What he need him? Was there any yeah. where he answered by himself? He took one in a. Was it another? He took one. England? Yeah, it was. Yes. So um, I, I'm sorry if I'm repeating this story to anyone listening, but it has to be told. So we um, it was in the 21s in 2009, and uh, one of the ex City managers, I won't say his name was our coach or whatever. And we practiced penalties in the lead up to the tournament. And we, off the back of that, we were given an order for every, for the games, which could go to penalties. And as it turned out, Joel was number two, I think, behind James Milner, because Joel basically just slapped in every penalty he was taken. Didn't have a care in the world. He's an example of somebody who was excited to score, but in that same penalty shootout. So we went down to 10 men. And as it turned out, I was number 10 and Michael was number nine. 
<laughs> so Joe was like slapping them in or whatever. We scored the first three or four, but then it got to penalty six and it was about to go to penalty seven. And then that's when Mike had turned to me and asked if he could swap positions. The second to last man asked the last man, can we swap positions for a penalty shootout? And that's what I knew. I really hope he doesn't have to take a penalty here because he's not in the right frame of mind. And thankfully, yeah, thankfully we didn't have to. But yeah, Joe's, Joe's good with penalties. But he's, the thing with Joe, um, like obviously what he's going through now is obviously a test for him, but he's one of the most confident people that I've ever played with. And he's excited by the limelight. He's the type where, say, on my, my podcast sometimes, I'll ask people, a goalkeeper, the question, would you rather save a penalty to win or score a penalty to win? He's 100% saying he wants to score a penalty to win, to win a penalty <laughs> shootout. He, he just he, he loves that. And it's, and it's great that some people see pressure that way as an exciting thing. And yeah, he, keepers, they don't care because you know they're just going to absolutely kick the crap out of it. And worst comes to worst. If it doesn't go in, it's going down, flipping, going around the M60 afterwards, isn't it? Absolutely. Listen, while while you mention your podcast, give it a plug because there'll be some City fans who are listening to this now who might not be aware of your podcast. They should be. So yeah. how, how, do they, how do they listen to it? Okay, so it's called Kickback with Nadem. It's on every um, podcasting platform from Spotify through to, you know, Apple and all that stuff. And disclaimer, I am a City fan, but I don't just have City guests. I have I've had some City guests from... Older ones like Joe, Micah, um, Gareth Barry and so on. And I've had Zach Stefan on just this week. So there are City people on there. And you can always sense a little bit of the bias in the City chat. But it's not a City-specific <laughs> podcast. So please do not hold it against me. I just like to hear stories and hopefully you do too. Nathan, we're never going to hold that against you, are we? <laughs> <laughs> but the way, the way I see it, especially in the media stuff, is like, I, I, like I said it on radio the other day, I said, I'm a Man City fan. And I want to praise them. And at the minute, they give me plenty of reason to praise them. But I will also praise other teams if they are doing things that are right. I don't want to come across as biased. I just want you to understand that I prefer one team over another. But if another team, if City lose and a team deserves it, I'll say they deserve it, as opposed to saying, ah, oh, it was an outrage or anything like that. I had this debate many, many times when I worked at the BBC with bosses, with fans, etc. And, and and I used to say, listen, I'm I'm a City fan, and what I would describe that I do is I'm partisan, but not biased. And there is a yeah. difference between being partisan and being biased. Partisan, yeah. you can want the team to win, be right behind it, want to praise them in exactly the way that you said. But yep. if you, you, you call it as it is, so if a City player gets a penalty and you don't think it was a penalty, you can admit yeah. that, but just yeah. say, but who cares, City got the penalty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the difference, isn't it? It's that, that's yeah. the line. And I think you probably go down that line, don't you? Yeah, 100%. Because for me, I, like I know what it's like to have been a player at lots of different places, whether you are the underdog or whatever, the team that's going to Old Trafford. And, you know, you might have had a great game, but no one will even mention you because Sir Alex said something at the end of the game and all that stuff. Like, I think everybody deserves the right to be viewed in the same manner. So what I do, I never say, and I try not to ever say, I'm going to go and watch a player. I'm going to go and specifically watch a team. I'm going to watch a game. And whatever happens in the game happens in the game. And it's a lot easier to see what's actually going on when you're not solely leaning to one side and disregarding what's happening on the other bit. And I think overall, that's what, I think that's what people deserve. Obviously people, if I'm on City TV, I can lean a bit harder into the City side. But the fact of the matter is when you're on BBCs and so on, like I'll just I'll call it like it is, but just know I'll be laughing at the end if we're winning and you know, maybe just a bit more sombre if we if we're not. I think picking up on something you just said then, um, which isn't quite the same subject but similar. Uh, Pep said on Friday at the press conference that a defensive midfielder, and you, you already touched on Rodri not always being everybody's cup of tea, um, that that position doesn't get as much praise as it should do. So now yeah. Gundogan's getting all the headlines because he's he's bagged all these goals where maybe he was a bit underappreciated before. As a defender who might not have had the same level of praise that, mm -hmm. that strikers in you, the same team you were playing in or creative midfielders with assists uh, were getting, did that ever frustrate you? Do, no. do you think it would frustrate something like Rodri? No, I don't think it would frustrate someone like Rodri. And to be honest, like the fact that they've just won 16 games in a row, I think he'll be able to overcome it. But I always did find as a defender, this is what I hated. So I was never somebody that would give too many verbals on the field, although I wanted to. And the reason I never did was because the striker only needs to do one thing well in a game and they receive all the accolades. 
So you could never talk too much until until the things until the game is done. You know that's why that's why I hated. But that's just the nature of the game. You know people watch to see goals going in. People judge strikers on how many goals they scored, not defenders on how many tackles they made or how many interceptions they've had, and so on. So you know that it's an uneven uneven playing field from the get go. But one thing I'd say about Rodri, Fernandinho, going back to like Gareth Barry, who's now Juve Youngs, and so on, the six is such an important role because when you look at City's team now, when you look at uh, Stones, Diaz, Laporte, most of the balls that they play are either to each other or to the six. Most of the defending that begins for City before it gets to the back four goes through the six. The six is there and is an integral part of not only starting attacks, but start initiating the defending as well. So if you talk about how they're scoring some great goals or how they're defending really well, like that is the central point of it all. You find us if you put City's team, if you have City's team now, but you have a six that doesn't want the ball all the time, you'll see City probably score fifty percent less fewer goals. If you find a six that's constantly out of position, you'll find they'll probably concede more goals. But the fact is that role there is special. Like I, to call it what it is, when I was younger or whatever playing for City, it's not like we were the best football team ever. But the amount of times when you can hear people shout on the sideline, get the ball down, play, play, play. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to play, I'm going to play. So you get the ball rolled to you from the goalkeeper. And then all of a sudden, all you see are numbers on people's backs. You see numbers and fingers pointing, kick it forward. But then you play it forward, lose the ball. And before you know it, you're getting all the grief yourself. In this City team now, through that six and through other players, or you're, you're seeing the chest, you're seeing the hands. And to, to relate back to City again, I knew City changed when they bought David Silva because he was the first player. When I had the ball, he was coming towards me with a man on his back and I didn't play it to him because I'm not used to that. And he pulled me to the side afterwards and said, give me the ball. But I said, you had a man on you. He said, that's when I want you to play it to me. Like he's somebody who was always given an option, who has the personality and knows that if somebody comes with him, gives him a chance to play it around them and move and do the next thing. And that level of composure, even under pressure, is what they have all throughout the team now. And it's no surprise to say that they just dominate games. And that bit of analysis is why Paul wants you on TV, why I put you on TV, because I don't want to sound smart, Alec, here, but that's what I see too. But I can't say it as eloquently as you or with the well, same authority because you played the game. Yeah, I know I know what you're trying to say, but the, the thing about TV, firstly, is I don't have a wardrobe big enough for TV, whereas Micah does. Like, I'm more a radio <laughs> guy because I can just turn up in my pyjamas. But with um, with the TV stuff, you can see that there's a certain amount of people who do everything. Like at the minute, I feel, I'm not sure if I've got a subscription to BT Sport or to seeing Rio Ferdinand. You know, that use, that's just what it is. And to break into that, you don't, unless you've got a Champions League winner's medal or like five league winner's medals, they're not really there for it. But it's a shame because I think some people, they, talk, they say it like how it actually is, but others, they're saying things which I really don't understand. Like there was... Um, there was a host who recently was saying how, I think for United, they were not playing. They said Van der Beek was having a bad game or something. And they kept doubling down on it, saying it, saying it, saying it. And they're saying the players, they're not giving him the ball. They're looking at him and they're not playing it to him. And I'm like, at no point in my career, I've ever seen, even going back to like Sunday League, I've ever seen somebody be open. That's the right pass and somebody not play it to them because they don't think the player's good enough, especially at the highest level. So I said, that's weird. And then he said, oh, but with Fernandez." As a player, you know, they're just taking extra touches and looking to find where he is on the pitch and they're going to play it to him. I was like, that doesn't happen. That's literally never happened because you played the right pass in the right moment. You're not like, oh, God, I'm having a panic attack. Oh, where's Fernandez? Oh, is it left back? Let's just play, let's kick it back to left back. It's like, it's not a thing. But unfortunately, those people, the ones who've won stuff, they're the ones who essentially, you know, they do have an insight. They have more insight than people who haven't played. But I just know that the stuff that they're saying isn't true. And as every day, month, year passes from when they were playing, the stuff that they're saying has become more and more wild. And I'd love to be able to go up there and challenge it. But then the other side, again, with TV, is that you don't have the time. From when I was on BT Sport doing City versus Newcastle, I think, you, they, they ask you a question, says, and someone's in the area saying, right, 30 seconds to get your answer off. Okay, fine, I say my 30 seconds. And then the next question comes into the co-host. He's got 30 seconds and he's spoken for 25 and I completely disagree. I've got five seconds to like try and fix it. Well, well, I can't. So off it goes. So it is a, it's a tough job. But I think if you, for me, I think some people played the game and some people learned the game and knew the game. 
because there are plenty of people who go out there and just kick a ball around and play like throughout their entire careers. But then other people who understand why City are doing well. And it's not just because Gundogan's just like scoring loads of goals. It's because of the whole team aspects, but they can't, they don't see it. They don't understand it. They don't understand why say City go and press Liverpool more is worse because you look at this, look at the way Liverpool play and the keeper doesn't like to kick it long. Like you can read into those things if you understand the game but you don't necessarily need to understand the game to play it. And it's the same on the other side when you uh, commentate or discuss things as well. Are you enjoying this as much as me, Adam? I could just sit back and listen to Nadam, couldn't you? <laughs> yeah, it's great to chat to someone who has that an insight from playing the games. Obviously, we don't. So when we talk about it, it's just from more an emotional point of view or from, yeah, we you know we can understand the basic basic tactics and things like that. But I think the human element, I when whenever we chat to a an ex-player or a current player, I always feel like hearing from them from an emotional side of things, you know, how, how the brains of players work. Um, I'm, I'm so intrigued in that side of things because you can see a player make a pass and you can analyse that pass because it's there in front of you. But you don't know what they're thinking. You don't know what goes through the head. Um, so when we speak to, to someone like yourself, it, it's great to hear um, things that you can't see. Um mm. So, yeah, that's where I, I love that type of insight that we just don't have. And it's more of an emotional thing for us. Yeah, you, you, try, and you try and separate the emotional side of it. Well, I try to anyway, because like it's, it's a job at the end of the day. And some teams are just better than others with their talent. But it's the understanding of what makes them better. Like why, say, Liverpool were good for the two previous years was because of the fact they were constantly bombarding people down the sides. It was a high intensity, high energy game based around this, that and the other. For cities, no, it's more about this, learning about this system, that system. Why did they press this game but not press this game? Why is this team trying to press them here but not trying to press them there? Like, every time I see City play, I see a team that might drop off, but then they don't have an out ball. So I know straight away this game's going to be, like, nothing in particular. But then you have a team like Spurs who are going to drop off and then they're going to try and go for pace. So how does Pep counter that? Pep counters it by applying maximum pressure as high up the field as possible so the quality going through isn't there. But then even still... If it gets past, you still got three, four players there ready to go, you know, and that's not by chance. But unfortunately, I think throughout the years and throughout my years, and this happens all around all around the leagues, like you, you don't necessarily get the level of detail which some of the best teams in the world get right now. Like when they'd say, okay, this guy, like they've got a long throw and they're doing this. But when you go out on the field sometimes, it's the worst feeling in the world to not have a plan in place which you fully believe in and you know will work because you're going out there to try and do it but it just doesn't feel right like this is to tell you one specific story and I was in some ways I was luckily suspended for this game but it was 2015 maybe 2016 and City beat my QPR team about 6-0 at the Etihad and we got relegated off the back of that game but I was actually suspended because I got sent off the week before and the coach for us so a struggling side really stinking struggling side he said what we're going to do we're going to go we're going to go and press them we're going to try and press them for 90 minutes is what he said and I remember the looks on people's faces as he's saying this but we're practicing it in training but this is a city team that hadn't lost a game at home all season who were dismantling teams but he said it you step out on the field and you've got to you've got to respect your manager you try and press it was 6-0 could have been 10 and I'm thinking to myself like what what's what's going on what's going on but yeah like like I said like if I can share if I can share some of my insights and I like to learn about the game as well and learn what makes someone better than someone and so on but at the end of the day like the, some of the best players I've ever seen are the ones who have incredible talent have incredible understanding and take on instruction incredibly well and looking at the City team now they're ticking every single box which essentially means that if you play against them you need luck as opposed to just you performing at your best to actually have an opportunity. Can you make me a promise, Nadam? When you are a Premier League manager, which surely will happen very, very soon. Not going to happen, You don't think so? No, no. I've got... (laughs) So, I I talk like this and I do take an interest in it, but I'm also somebody who has no desire to go into coaching or management, so much so that I never bothered to take any coaching badges or anything. Because when I broke away from the game, I wanted to go to a more normal life because the football life in terms of the schedule and so on, it's great and all that. But I love playing football. And in this moment, I'd rather be playing Power League than, say, playing in the championship. 
because I want the fun back into it, but then I want the schedule to be able to see my family more and to not be traveling around more and all this stuff. And another thing about football, it's like, it's not, I don't, uh, for the duration of my career, I never introduced myself as being a professional footballer wherever I went. I like, I'm just Nadam because I always thought I am me and that's my job. But for some people, they, I think their lives have been defined by their careers and they always need that sort of moment or conversational starting point or whatever. It says, yeah, I am, I am football, I am this, I am that. And as a consequence, they can't step away from it. But in the last three, four years of my career, the thing I enjoyed more than anything were my days off because I could go on adventures with my family and go and see certain things, go and do certain things. Like I love training and I love playing in games, but it's just at a different stage in my life. And I don't necessarily want to enter that life again, especially as a coach or a manager or whatever, where the hours are longer, the pay is less, the stress is greater, the control is less. And it's just, and you're doing it for longer. Like I, when I lay out like that, I think to myself, why, why would I have any interest in doing such a thing? Because at the moment, like I can watch a few games a week, talk about it and then just go home. And it's like, it's not, it's kind of warm in the studio. Like I'm, I'm, I'm all right with it. <laughs> I can completely respect where you're coming from, but what a waste because you are wow. such a talented man. I'll try. I'll listen. I'll try. I'll try and I'll try and add value to something. Like if at some point in the future <clears> I could maybe like do some mentoring, say at City or something like that, then I'd love to do something like that, which is a bit different. But in terms of the whole technical, like performance, going out, playing games, and all that side of it, like I'm. I'm happy to be away from that, but I would like to, you know, share my knowledge in whatever, in whichever way I can. What I was going to say, which is now a mute point, is when you become a Premier League manager, still come on our podcast and talk to us. But we're going to worry about that now. Yeah, don't, don't, I'm talking to you either way. It makes no difference. I could be like international <laughs> manager. I'll still be coming on. Don't worry about that. So let, let me let me. This hour's gone past so quickly, and I and I apologise really to Adam and Paul. I haven't talked to them as much as perhaps I normally would do, but I'm sure they agree with me that hearing your words, Nadam, is just such a joy. We need to get you back on the podcast again soon. Um, yeah, for sure. In terms of going forward, then with your analytical brain, and obviously I will bring the other two in on this as well. Um, it looks to me, and I know that all three of you, for different reasons, may well not want to say this, but I will say it. The league's over. City are going to win the league at a canter. They're going to win it at least by 10 clear points. It's very, very obvious to me. Um, but there are still cup competitions. So Spurs, cup, League Cup final, one-off, just beating Spurs. You know, a reasonable chance to win that. Tough game at Everton in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup, but it's a one-off. It's a one 90-minute game with the prospect of extra time and penalties. And then there's the Champions League, the Holy Grail. Is this... I've described in a couple of newspaper articles that I've written is that this team is perfect. But I did say, I did qualify it by saying, doesn't mean you can't lose games, even though you're perfect. Now, that's a complete contradiction, I realise, and you could probably say it more eloquently than me, Nader, but that's how I feel, that it is absolute perfect football, but that still means you can lose. Is it possible that this season, City, the way that they're playing, can actually win all four major trophies? Or do you think that there is a way that other teams can, can beat this, what seems to be a perfect system? Did you, who do you want to go first? You. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you have to say, absolutely, they can win four trophies. They can. If they will, it's tough. Because of the fact that things are over just one game, I think it, it doesn't necessarily level the playing field, but it makes it, it gives the other team a greater opportunity because you just have to get it right on one occasion. I think I fancy City over two legs against pretty much any team on the planet right now. But in a one-off game, you just don't know what's going to happen. Because City, for as much as they're playing great now and they're scoring goals and so on, there have been certain times on this run where teams have had an opportunity. And maybe it's different if City go behind. Maybe it's different if they maybe go behind and they've got a man sent off. Maybe somebody's injured. Maybe someone's struggling. You know, there's the same reason that we love watching City right now dominate people is sort of the antithesis, antithesis of the fact that we also love the game because you never know what's going to happen. I don't think there's that sense of 
are guaranteed four trophies because they're playing so well right now. And I think that's ultimately why we watch, because you never know. You have a feeling, but you never know. It's the same reason why Leicester win a league. It's the same reason why, say, for years, people used to say, if you put a bet on, like, Barcelona, Barcelona Real Madrid, City, United, blah, 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 all at the same time, it never came in because they never all won on the same weekend. You know, it seems like it's predictable, but it's not. And City are confident, and they are the favourites, essentially, for every game between now and the end of the season. But, but so what? I think as time progresses, you say if you're Spurs and you're in a cup final, you'll have to play better than you did in the league. You'll have to. You've got a point to prove and you've got an understanding of what they're doing right now. You know that, say, say the game on the weekend, what happens if Harry Kane's free kick goes in instead of hitting the post? Are they rejuvenated and they sit back in? Do City have the character to remain patient, similar in the way that they did to Cheltenham in the FA Cup? But then imagine that situation now, but with a team that's three, four times better than Cheltenham. You just never, you never know. So yeah, the, the way that they're playing, I would say, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty much close to perfect because it's based around defence and attack. It is close to perfect, but it's football and you literally never know what's going to happen. I'd be, if City lost a, another, if the, next, if the next league game City lost was from, say, a team that was in second or a team that was in second bottom, like you just don't, you don't know. You don't know because as this season progresses, the desire, the necessity... And the desperation of teams becomes greater and greater and greater and time's running out. So with that in mind, I think you'll find a different type of game and it doesn't necessarily suit people just essentially going through the motions playing against them because, you know, at some point, like, something's on the line. Well, I'll compare uh, Nadim's comments to a bit like listening to the works of Shakespeare. I'll, I'll now, I'll now, I'll, I'll add these two limerick writers. Ask these two limerick writers to give us their emotional view. So, go on, Adam. What do you think? Yeah. So, I, I think obviously it makes it more difficult when you're playing one-off games. You know, I think we're more likely to win the league than we are to win the league cup, even though we're in the league cup final, because. It's a one game and you don't know what's going to happen. You know, you saw it in 17-18, FA Cup, we got knocked out against Wigan. We got a man sent off and that basically ruined the game. All it takes is to get one man sent off, uh, like Naden was saying. And, and your whole your game plan might be there. You know, everyone knows the way, the way we play, but it might just be turned upside down by one bad decision or, or one weird refereeing decision um, or one unbelievable goal from an opposition. That's, we, just, we just don't know. Um, and same with last season, the Champions League. You'd have thought that over two legs, we'd have beat Leon. You know, in a normal tie, you go through. I don't think we were good enough to win the Champions League last season, whether two legs or not. Um, but you'd like to think that over two legs, we would have gone through in that tie. Um, so, yeah, it's that one game um, side of it where we've got 90 minutes and one thing can go wrong in those 90 minutes. And that's where... I'm worried um, if everything was to go to plan, if you were to put the, the season through a simulator um, without any any crazy things happening, of course we'd win everything because we're probably the best team out there at the minute, but life isn't like a simulator and crazy things happen and we just can't predict it, can we? But, you know, we at the moment are giving ourselves the best chance to do it. So, yeah, that's all we can say, that we're, we're prepared for if something goes wrong, you'd like to think that we'd be in a position defensively, that we can deal with that better than we have been, been able to deal with it over the past few years. Paul? Um, well, I think today on Valentine's Day, the appropriate thing is them three little uh, words, VAR. Um, <laughs> I, think you can, I, I think you can sort of... What's, what scares me? What scares me? I'm not saying it's, it's the, you know, there's this thing from above, conspiracy theories and all the rest of it. But I've seen some of the amazing decisions just this weekend alone. Um, and that's what scares me at the moment is that we can get, you know, a very tight game and we're gonna, it's going to be finalised by some clown working VAR. You know, some of the decisions that are being made at the moment. You know, the other thing that I, I'm, I, I should be saying this, I hope we don't win them because I want to be there and watch it. I'd hate to win the Champions League. So selfish, Paul. I know. Selfish. I, know it is, I, 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 know it I can't is. agree with that. I know it is, but I've spent thousands of pounds going to, going to European games, and you know we, you know, with you Ian as well. You know we've been with you, and we've we've travelled all over, and to actually win the Champions League when we didn't get an opportunity to be there in the ground, it just seems wrong. You know, it's like Liverpool last season. You know, they won they won they won the Premier League, and they didn't get to see you know the trophy. It's a shame. Never mind. But 
it's not it's not right is it you know it isn't it isn't right so yeah i think we could win them all um we are the team to beat and i think we could go to the end of the season completely unbeaten you know please don't quote me on that if it goes wrong but i think we could do and if we do we've won the champions league we've won the cup we've won the league it's 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 fantastic it's it's, it's fantastic mate but I just wish I could be there to win, to watch us win the Champion League. You see, obviously, I would agree, actually, with what Paul's saying, even though I know you wouldn't, Adam. But even if you took me and Paul and others like us out of the equation, the fact that it would be won in an empty stadium, so therefore could never compare to the moment that, obviously, Nadam in some ways wants to forget, but also remember when Sergio scored the goal past his defence. <laughs> that... Oh. that the fact that there was a crowd there, whether me and Paul were there, whether Adam was there, it doesn't matter who the individuals are, the euphoria that was in that stadium that day cannot be replicated by artificial crowd and on us watching it on TV. It'll never be as good. So I do absolutely relate to that, well, but it is what it is. We I'm are where we are. I've always wanted to ask you this. Being on that pitch when that happened, what was you thinking? Well, I'll tell you, from the moment the ball went into the goal, uh, well, I'm not, I'm not going to swear, but, for the, sorry, let me go back five, ten seconds. So we had a throw-in QPR on the right-hand side, which I took, and I jogged up to the ball because it was City. Otherwise, I would have walked to it. So I jogged to it because I thought, <laughs> I don't want to time waste. And I don't want to get any grief for it, but I could have time wasted. Got the ball, tried to throw it down the line to the guy who was there, but he didn't go there. So I, I was the last QPR player to touch the ball. So as the move's developing, I know as a player, like, you know when a goal is your fault. So I'm running back and like, please, 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 don't nothing happen. Please, nothing happen. Please, nothing happen. Please, nothing happen. And I'm watching the move develop. Bits happening, bits happening. At this point, I can't even engage. The play never made it to my side. So the ball goes flying in. I don't know who scored, but I thought, oh my God, I've just relegated my team at City. Like, I'm distraught, stunned, <laughs> lost for words. And then I looked over at um, the dugout and Mark Hughes was celebrating. Mancini was celebrating. Looked over at the fans. The QPR fans were celebrating. The City fans were celebrating. So I was like, ah, oh, it means nothing. And then all of a sudden, that was like, <laughs> that instance there for me personally was the best feeling I've had in football, purely because of the fact it was in Manchester. So I thought, because there were so many like subtext and stuff going on, because I'd never played championship before. I'd been at QPR three months. I didn't go there to get relegated. So if everything went wrong, I would have seen my old team win the league with the manager who 99% of players hated. And I would have been relegated at home with my friends lifting the title. So I was like panic stations for the whole week. So for them to, that, then to see that flip, and we can celebrate staying up with relief. And I can see the win for City. Like, I'll be honest, I didn't think I'd see a pitch invasion at the Etihad. But to see that showed how big an occasion it was. And then to sum up the, the day for me in the end, I'm in the QPR bit and we're drinking beers. And then someone came over from City, said I should come over uh, to just to say hi and whatever. Went over and they had champagne. But I managed to have both feelings. I had the beer, had the champagne, had the great occasion. And I was home within 20 minutes where they were on the bus heading down to London straight <laughs> afterwards. So it was, uh, it was it was incredible. Well, what a great way to finish a, a fantastic podcast. I mean, I've got to say, we've been doing the Forever Blue podcast now for a couple of years, just over a couple of years. And uh, this has been no disrespect to any of the podcasts we've done, anybody we've had on as guests. This has been my favourite podcast. Yeah, well, You've I been was. an absolutely incredible guest, Nadine. We've got to get you on again. Yeah, um, I appreciate it. Anytime. And obviously, uh, I know... The contribution from Paul and, and Adam has a quite bit as big as it might have been another week. But who cares? And I don't think you two care. Do you? You know I've been I've been sat here, I've been absolutely mesmerized. And when and when Nedham paid that played that pass to David Silver, I was on that pitch with him. You know, so <laughs> I, was, I was actually there, mate. I was like they had 12 men on at the moment. I was actually there. Yeah, yeah I get you. I get you. But yeah, thanks for having me on. I knew I apologize because I don't I don't like to give short answers. 
I've, so I apologise. This is why you no, no, you've no need to apologise. This is what this platform is for. That's the whole point. That's why it's different than the television that you were talking about. Yeah, we yeah, have got sure. time to breathe. You have got chance to answer a, a question fully. Um, uh, and and on that basis, just let me give a, a quick plug to a, an interview I did last week, which is with uh, Colonel Doug Hurley, who is a NASA astronaut who was the last man to fly Atlantis, and he went up in Dragon, the spacecraft. He's a City fan. I interviewed him this week, and he was also an exceptional uh, guest. And if you haven't seen it, go and have a look at that. It's on YouTube, um, and you'll see it as the big at the moment, the last did thing you, I've actually put up question? there. Did I ask him what? Did you ask the question? Asked you asked, have you seen Uranus? <laughs> no, I didn't ask him that, no. <laughs> <laughs> or Neptune or any other planets, <laughs> just to make that clear, right? Um, <laughs> uh, trust Paul to bring the tone of the whole podcast down, eh, just as we're getting towards the end of it. But have a look at that. And, and the other thing is, is at the moment, we're very aware in this whole lockdown period of people's mental health, mine included, being affected by by what's going on. I make no bones about it. I've had some some really bad days and I've had some good days um, and we're all going through it. And when I was talking to Doug, I asked him how he'd cope with it, whether he'd had any training, that sort of thing. And at the end, I, I gave a link to a, uh, something that I found, which is an online tool where you can check your own mental health. It's free, it's confidential. Um, so have, have a look at that video if you've not seen it. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, thanks very much to Paul Adam and, of course, to Chinadam Anuaha for being our guest. And uh, we'll no doubt speak to him again soon. In the meantime, have a good week. And remember, it's always great to be a blue.